God's been doing great things at our home church at Rubyville. Can I just can I just testify for a little bit before we preach? Just love to testify what God's been doing. Uh, we we saw five saved yesterday, and thank God for that. That's the greatest number ever. And then uh, back in our homecoming revival this first week of October, we were we were uh, blessed with a. Uh, you, you know, in the Bible where it says we have seen strange things today. You ever leave church and say that? I've seen strange things. You just can't explain it. You know what I mean? And I'm going to try to explain what happened, but you, I'll never be able to explain it. We have a dear pastor friend of ours that his son-in-law was starting a church in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, a little town called Blanchester. And God spoke to his heart. There's a church closing and a group of people that didn't have a pastor. And God said, I want you to go to that town. I want you to plant a church. He took him and his wife and his kids about eight people when they started. That was back in December. Now they're right around 50 people being saved almost weekly. God's doing great things. And they were meeting in a high school cafeteria and God put them in a building and they had enough money to put the, the down payment as far as leasing it. Then they had an opportunity to buy. And, uh, God about five years ago, uh, did for us, we, we are sitting in a five million dollar complex that God paid for. We do not owe no one anything. He paid for it all. Paid for it all. And we're talking just because people tithe. That's all you gotta do. Just tithe. God will take care of you. So He did. He's taking care of us. And we just continue to give it and He continues to pour it on us. So the opportunity came up during this service. God spoke to people's hearts and they went over to this young man that just opened up the service with prayer. Said, God's put a burden on me to start a church around the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Pray for us as we do God's work. And the power of the Holy Spirit spoke to people. They just kept going up and just handing him money during the service. Didn't even know who he was. But the Holy Spirit did. The Lord came down in an unusual way. Calvin Ray, for the first time ever in the history of his pastoring, called a board meeting in the middle of service. Said, I, Mike, Mike and Teresa Blanton were there. Mike Blanton Evans began to sing. He said, Mike, sing two or three songs. We're going to have a board meeting and we'll be back. He got through about the first verse. We came out of that boardroom shouting and screaming and rejoicing. And uh, from what was given to him that day, they needed around... $103,000, and he, from what he already had and what was given to him in the service, they needed around 90000 and change. And we were able to give him $91,000 that night to buy that church for the glory of God. To the glory of God. To the glory of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and this is what the pastor said. He said, God, you did it for Rubyville, you can do it for me. He, he stopped asking for God to make the payments, and he said, God, just take care of all of it. What kind of God do we serve? I preached earlier in the year back in the Smoky Mountain Campment, he's able to go beyond, beyond. He can do exceeding abundantly above. We just don't ask him for enough. <laughs> he wants us to. He says, ask me for anything, and if it's my will, it'll be done. Hallelujah. I haven't even started preaching yet, and I already feel like preaching. Because God's good. We limit Him on what He can do for us. He's willing and able, but we put handcuffs on Him. That's what we want this week's revival, is for you all to keep 
Get the handcuffs off God and ask Him for extraordinary things. And you'll find that you're serving an extraordinary God. Amen? Turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We'll give you what God has laid upon our heart to share with you. And we will, we will let you go whenever God says it's time to go. Exodus chapter 16. We'll begin reading in verse 15. Exodus 16 and verse 15. Everyone have it? Say amen. Amen. All right. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded Gather of it every man, look at what it says now, according to his eating. And Omer for every man, according to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so. Look at what it says. And gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an Omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Moses said, let no man leave of it until the morning. Meaning, don't hoard it. It's not meant for you to keep. Notwithstanding, they didn't listen like some of us, right? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was very wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man, here's that phrase again, according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. Back in our hometown, we have, uh, well, I know you all have them here. Uh, I don't know if you have golden corrals in this area or not. Do you have golden corrals? Okay. I know it's amazing preachers preaching about food. But I have to give you this illustration. And we, we do. We have, we have golden corrals. And, 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 but before they were built, before they came out, we had another local establishment. That was called Mrs. Perry's Bounty Table. And Mrs. Perry was a great Christian lady. And it was a great place to eat. It was kind of the first buffet kind of food that we would have in our area. And so uh, it was a great place to go for any time, any day of the week. And, and so uh, there was one stipulation when you went to Mrs. Perry's bounty table. We called it Mall Perry's. They had a sign that Josh at the beginning of her buffet, and it would say this. You can take what you want, but eat what you take. Meaning uh, she was from the old school. And my grandpa, you don't leave nothing on your plate, Right. If you're eating dinner with my papa, you're eating all of it, whether you like it or not, because you gotta have your clean plate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, this is the, this is the concept that Mrs. Perry had. She said, you gotta eat, take what you want. You can have as much as you want. However big of appetite you have, you can take it, but you better eat what you take. And as I was reading this passage of scripture, my mind went back to Mrs. Perry's bounty table. Because I firmly believe tonight, and I think you would agree with me, Our God is not a God of waste. You can have as much as God as you want. But you better take what you eat. 
Eat what you take, rather. You can take as much as God as you want, but you better eat what you take. Because our God is not a God of waste. There's a principle in, in, the, in, in the world, especially in the world of finances and the world of business. For those of you that run a business, you know what I'm talking about. It's called supply and demand. Basically, if you have a product that is a great product, but there's no demand for it in this world economy, you will go bankrupt and you will go out of business. You can, have, you can have the best product known to man that can do a lot of great things, but if no one wants it, sorry, you're out of business. I mean, we can look around this country and see that video stores are going out of business. Why? Because there's no demand for them anymore. It's not that they don't make good DVDs or they distribute good DVDs or distribute movies. They don't, it's not they don't do it well. It's just people don't want them anymore. No matter how good of a VHS tape you have, I'm sorry, it's going to be hard to find a VHS recorder. Our kids are going to watch VHS. And if you have cassettes, man, I mean, hold on to them. They're going to be worth something one day. But you can't buy cassettes anymore at Walmart because there's no demand for them. It's the same way with food. You, you can put broccoli in front of my face. I don't care how you dress it up. It could be in a casserole. It could be with cheese. But if I know there's broccoli in it, I'm sorry, there's no demand there. <laughs> I don't care how much of a supply you have, I'm not going to eat it. I could pass it over to Calray, but I, oh, he's on cumin and he can't have it. I know that it hurts him. It hurts him really hard because it hurt him the day the doctor said, you can't eat broccoli anymore. I mean, he was really upset. You can tell, look on his face, he's really upset about it. <laughs> But there's no demand there. It don't matter how good of a broccoli casserole you make, ladies. I'm sorry. It's not that I, I hope I don't offend you, but I'm not going to eat it because I just don't like broccoli. There's no demand there for it. Now, if you put chocolate cake in front of my face, there will be a demand and plenty there to go with it. So if, the same, if, if supply and demand is true in finances and it's true in, with food, then it must be the same with our faith. God is willing to give us as much as we want. But He will give us according to our appetite. So how hungry are you? That's my question tonight. How hungry are you? You can have as much as you want and you can take what you want, but you better eat what you take. This was the problem with the children of Israel. They had a provider. His name was Pharaoh. Pharaoh, even though he was a, a, a slave uh, master, even though they were at his beck and call, he still gave them a form of provision. He was their provider. And God said, I'm going to take that away from you. It's time to leave bondage. It's time to leave Egypt and time to go into the promised land. But if I'm going to take that provision away from you, I'm going to replace that provision or I'm going to become that provision. That's exactly what he did. He, they didn't have any food to eat. And so what he did is he sent manna. And they didn't know what... This was their provision. This was exactly what they needed, but they didn't know what it was. You know why? Because they was expecting something else. You'll find it all through Scriptures. The, the people of Israel and the people of the Lord were looking for answers. And when it came to them, when the answer came to them, they didn't recognize it, so they disdained it. The, Joseph didn't look like an answer, but he was the answer. 
Moses didn't look like the answer, but he was the answer. When Jesus Christ came into this world, people looked over him because they weren't expecting a babe in a manger. They were expecting a king on a horse. But he didn't come the way that they thought he should come. So they didn't think that he was the Messiah. And sometimes when we pray for things, let's, let's not be too hasty. We have to understand our answer may come in a way we may not think it should. And this is exactly what they said. They said, what is this? What is this? And Moses said, this, this, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded you. You can have as much as you want, but you better eat what you take. This is the bread which God is giving you. But listen to me, children of Israel. You can have as much as you want, but you better eat what you take. Don't waste it. God is not a God of waste. So, I want you to notice tonight, there's some things in this passage of Scripture that God didn't waste. Number one, He didn't waste the bread. He said He gave every man according to his eating. If they had a family of four, they gave enough for a family of four, and they had enough for a family of four. If they had a family of eight, a family of two, if they had just a single person living in the tent, it didn't matter. They gathered as much as they want. Every man according to his eating. That shows us God was not a God of waste. And I can give you story after story in the Bible how God did not waste the bread. You can go to the New Testament and the feeding of the 5,000. There was 5,000 men beside that, women and children. Who knows how many was there? We know well over probably 10,000 people were there that day on the hillside. He'd been preaching to them all day. They were hungry. And they said, what do we have here to eat? And they said, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. But what is that among so many? And God said, Jesus said, just give it to me. Me, and I'll show you what I can do. And so the Bible says that He blessed it and He broke it and He distributed it among the disciples. And the Bible says that one every every gospel writer recorded this miracle, and you'll find that it says that everyone that ate was full. <laughs> so they could have as much as they wanted, but they, they and they ate what they took, and thank God they were full. And the Bible says that there was twelve basketfuls left. Over. You said, Brian, was that wasted? No, it wasn't wasted. God did not waste one strap, one morsel. No, every bit of it was not wasted. It was used for God's glory. The woman that came to him, that her, his, her daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. And she came to him, and, and this, this teaches us a valuable lesson. When she came to Jesus Christ, she did not even give him her need. The first thing she did was she fell at his feet and began to worship him for who he was. She didn't ask him to heal her daughter. She just worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm not worthy. It's not worthy for me to cast the, the meat to the, to, to, to the, to the dogs. And she said, but yes, even the, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She understood that just one morsel from Jesus Christ, it would not be wasted. She said, others may just, just wipe it off on the table and just look it off as something to disdain. But she said, I know that just one morsel, just one crumb from you, I know it can answer my prayer. Aren't you glad? Thank God that Jesus Christ, He is the bread of life. The bread of God that has come down from heaven. Not one step was wasted. Not one word was wasted. Not one miracle was wasted. Everything He did on this earth was for a greater purpose. And that was for the glory of the Father. Probably one of the most 
humble acts in Scripture is when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled Himself as the servant of man and began to wash His disciples' feet. You have to think about it. I've thought about it many times. The people that were sitting around that table, the ones that would betray Him, the ones that would curse His name, the ones that would run away in fear, and yet He still blessed the bread, broke the bread, and gave everyone an opportunity to eat the bread even though He knew they would, he, they would betray Him. I wonder how many times, even though He knows what I've done and what I will do, He still gives me an opportunity to eat. He says, Brian, if you're hungry, you can take what you want. But you better eat what you take. Hallelujah. He didn't waste the bread. And He didn't waste the blessing. No. You have to understand, everybody that gathered was blessed. <laughs> Everyone. Every day of their lives. Every day for 40 years they woke up to a blessing. <laughs> Think about that. Oh, Before the sun would even come out, the dew would rise upon the grass. That's a form of the Holy Spirit. When the dew would come, then the bread would be supplied. Every day they woke up to a blessing. Then the Bible say that His mercies are new every single morning. We ought to wake up every day if we're saved and thank God because we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. Our day would be a lot better if we start thinking about God's blessings when we wake up instead of what we have to accomplish or what we have to do if we just take the time to thank Him for who He is and what He's done and what He's going to do in that day. I'm telling you, we are a blessed people. Every morning they woke up to a new blessing. (laughs) I'm sure they probably got tired of it. But I've never got tired of being blessed. Have you? No. Every day, when they got out of bed, they were blessed. But listen, you'll notice. God didn't say to keep the blessing. Moses said, no man leave it until morning. God intended for them to eat it. He didn't intend for them to save it. He wanted them to savor it, not save it. He didn't want them to be spiritual hoarders of the blessings of God. He wanted them to eat. (laughs) That's all He wanted. He wanted them to eat. So He blessed them, listen, not so much out of their need, but He blessed them according to their appetite. (laughs) And listen, I know this may ruffle some feathers, but please hear me out. You know, I, I follow God's word, and and I and I'm back to tithing again, but I tithe. I don't care to tell you that I tithe, so I do not have to pray for God to supply my needs. You may think, well, Brian, that's awful proud, that's awful prideful, that's awful cynical. No, I'm just following what Scripture said. I'm doing what He tells me to do. 
And I know that every need I have, a need, I'm not talking about a desire or a want or a new bass boat or a new gun or a new set of gloves. No, I'm talking about my needs. My needs will be met according to the Word of God because I give to Him what's rightfully here. But I can have as much of God as I want. But I gotta eat what I take. So it all depends how hungry I am. So when I wake up, and listen, this is the problem where we're at today, and this is why I'm gonna get a little close to living right here. We're so full of the world's junk food, that when we come to church and try to eat what pastor's giving us, and what our Sunday school teacher's trying to give us, we're not hungry, because we're too full of the world! I thought I'd get a little bit more amens on that. But we are. You may not have this problem here, but we, we, we're so full of sports in our area, it's killing us. Now, now listen, hey, I, I'll cheer on my favorite teams just like you will. But I'm telling you, it's getting to a point. It's, it's, it's awful. It's sinful is what it is. We're so full of that that, that I can walk by people uh, going to church on, on Sunday night, getting ready to go up in the pulpit and getting ready for church. But yet, they're not talking about people being saved. They're not talking about the service. They're talking about their fantasy football team and what happened during the afternoon and what's going to happen if I if this guy will do this or do that. They're not worried about seeing souls saved. No, they're worried about winning some stupid trophy that don't matter to the hill of beans. Why? Because they're so full of the world. They're not hungry for God. That's preaching. That's preaching. Listen, I'll say it again. Those things aren't bad in their place. But when they replace God, then, that, then we got a problem. That's when it becomes sin. Because God will have no other gods before Him. And you can make anything of God when you put it ahead of Him. Amen. Amen. Women, it goes the same for you too. You're so full to get them sales on the dresses and the clothes. If you put much time in the couponing as you did winning souls of Jesus, boy, I just killed the revival, didn't I? I ain't going to start on social media. Because we're so full of junk. When we come into the house of God, we cannot eat. Because we're so full of junk food. I'll give it to you this way, my, in case you haven't understood what I'm saying. My son, he's 10 years old now, and Calrie can attest, he's, he's, he loves to eat. And we get in the car, where are we eating at? Where are we eating next? What are we eating tomorrow? You know, that, that's, his, that's his next first three questions. So every Sunday afternoon, guarantee we're going one or two places. My mom's or my mother-in-law's, and it's going to be home-cooked food. And my son loves it. He's ready. He knows. He's getting, he's getting mashed potatoes gravy getting some steak, roast, maybe pork roast, who knows, but he's going to get some good food. But yet, he's so impatient that he's hungry. Oh, I'm so hungry right after church. He's like, i got to get something to drink. i get some chips, Dad, or something to hold me over. And I always tell him. <laughs> I always, I've just started keeping him in the car now. That way I just, you know. I said, listen, son, I said, you're going to ruin. Your, no, no, I'll be hungry when I get there. Yeah. So, no, not... I just, just to satisfy him and get him just basically just to be quiet. Get him a bag of chips, whatever. And he'll eat them things. He'll drink some water and he'll be real, okay, let's go to Mammoth's. But when he gets there, he'll get a big plate full. And you know the old saying, his eyes are bigger than his stomach. He'll take two or three bites. Oh, I'm so full. I can't eat anymore. 
I probably shouldn't have had those chips, should I? So he wasted an entirely good meal of good food. He wasted it because he was so full of junk food. And we do the same thing when we feast on the things of the world. And we try to come in. And the pastor's trying to feed us. More than that, God's trying to feed us. And He's trying to bless us. But we're so full of the world that we can't eat. So how hungry are you? Let me get back to my point. What God gives us, the blessings He bestows on us, it's not intended to hoard up. It's intended to give right back out. He puts us on earth to do two things. Number one, to win others to Christ and to support the kingdom of God. That's our priorities. And we need to be doing that. Amen? Don't hoard up your blessings. You can't keep any of it anyway. And you'll find you cannot outgive the Lord. I promise you. I promise you. Oh, He's so good to us. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. But He says, remember when He even told His disciples, give us this day our daily bread. It goes back to this principle here. He's telling us, you cannot live off yesterday's bread and you can't live off tomorrow's bread because you don't even know if you're going to get bread tomorrow. That's why you've got to live off what He gives you today. God wants us to be blessed every day of our lives and He will not waste the blessing. It all depends on how hungry you are for it. He didn't waste the bread. He didn't waste the blessing. And right before this, He instituted... One of the greatest plans in all the Bible. He instituted a way that not one drop of blood would be wasted. When sin entered into this world, the blood began to fall. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you'll find that the Bible says that God made coats of skin to cover their nakedness. In order for there to be coats of skin, that means there had to be a blood shed. That word covering is an, it means atonement. It was an atonement for the sin and for their nakedness. But then God said there has to be a better way. So He made another plan in the book of Exodus. He made It's called the Passover. And He made it where they would take a lamb to the inside and they would, they would, it would be their pet lamb. But God said to sacrifice the lamb. But watch out because the blood cannot be wasted. I want to take the hyssop, which is a sign of faith, and I want you to dip it in that blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I want you to let the blood pour down into the threshold. And I want you to take that blood and apply it to the top of the door and to the side post as a symbol of the cross of Calvary. And when the, when the, when the Lord would come and pass through the town, He would see the blood and He would pass over them because the blood was the covering. And anyone that was in that home, anyone that was behind the blood would be safe from death. And aren't you glad the principle still goes today as long as we're behind the blood of the Lamb and behind the cross of Calvary. That's why many times preachers will pray this prayer as we begin to preach. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Why? Because we want to be behind the blood. Because if anyone is behind the blood, you're safe. You're safe. You're safe from the death and from the destruction of this world. Joshua chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You'll find that two witnesses were sent and they came to a house of Rahab. And they told her to bind the scarlet cord into that window. And she did exactly what they said. 
She said, according to not what I believe, but, but according to your words, because I've heard of what your God can do for you. And so the Bible says that she lived on the wall of Jericho. And our pastor Cal preached years ago at our home church. I never did forget this. Because we have lived on the wall with her family. And it said, whosoever was inside of her house, inside her walls, when the scarlet cord was applied, they would all be safe when the walls would come tumbling down. And that's exactly what happened in it. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But guess what? Rahab was fine, wasn't she? She lived on the wall, didn't she? But the walls came tumbling down. How did that happen? God supernaturally performed a miracle. Can you imagine the walls of Jericho tumbling to the ground? But yet one column still stands and it is the house of Rahab. Why? Because the scarlet cord had been bound to that window. Whoop, hallelujah! Aren't you glad? That shows us the power of the blood. Hallelujah! When we bind it to our lives, when we hide behind the blood, I'm telling you, there's no devil in hell that can stop it. I'll share this and I'll, I'll close. It's 9 o'clock, right? It's 8 o'clock here, so I'm going to go another hour. I love what said that word bind. I'm talking about not wasting the blood. The word bind in that, in that Scripture is a, in the Hebrew, it's a legal terminology. It's where we get the term binder from. When you sign a loan or, or a mortgage. How many, of you have, uh, how many of you, when you sign your mortgage, you actually thought that you owned your home? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I thought that. I got a rude awakening. But see, when you sign a mortgage, you signed a binder. And that binder is in the, it's in the, all those papers you got to write. It's in there somewhere. But what, what it says is that if the weaker party does not meet their agreement, then the stronger party will take over. So, me being the weaker party and the bank that's holding the mortgage being the stronger party, if I stop making house payments, they will come and take over. You know what that means? They will take your house. They will. Don't test them. They'll do it. I promise. (laughs) But that binder says, if I cannot come up with my end of the deal, that the greater party will take over. So Rahab came and bound that scarlet cord in the window. That means she came into a binding agreement with God the Father. Now she said, I'm nothing. And she knew she was nothing. So she said, I I have nothing to bring. All I'm doing is doing what you say. So that means the greater party is going to have to take over. And that's exactly what happened. Listen, I had nothing to bring God but my righteousness, unrighteousness, and my filthy rags that are in the sight of God. Because we're nothing in the sight of God. But yet, when I came to Him and the blood was applied to my life, I came into a binding agreement. And yes, I cannot hold up my end of the bargain because I'm a sinner. But thank God I'm a sinner that's been saved by the grace of God. And even though I can't come up with my end of the bargain, hallelujah, the greater party takes over. That shows you how powerful the blood of Christ is. Regardless of how deep in sin you may be tonight. Regardless of how many times you've rejected the call of the Holy Spirit on your life. Hallelujah. He's here tonight. The blood is still fresh. Not one drop has been wasted. Every drop that was shed on the cross of Calvary had your name on it. Had my name on it. Had the sins of the world on it. Not one drop was wasted. And when it's applied to your life, you can be set free from a life of sin. Hallelujah. 
I'll share with you one story. Uh, man, you, you're all killing me. In our uh, Calvindor Seven Memorial Camp meeting, we had a we had a tremendous meeting, and on the the Friday night, the Lord came and four precious souls saved, and one of those that were saved that night was a lady that when she came to the altar, and I'll, I'll testify for Calvin Ray tonight. When when you're in that type of facility, it was like a, a an auditorium, a theater. And so there was a large drop from the stage to the ground where people were praying. So normally we would just stay up on stage and let other preachers come and pray. Well, they were doing that, but Calvary felt so impressed to go and pray with this lady that had come. So he went down and began to pray with her. And after they were praying, she stopped and said, uh, you probably don't remember me, do you? And Calray instantly was thinking in his mind, I don't remember you. And she said, when I tell you my name, you'll remember me. She said, we've never met personally, but we've talked on the phone. She said, four years ago, I was in a place in my life when all hope was gone. And I had a gun in my lap and I was ready to take my life. And I had your number. And I called your office, and you were already closed for the day. And I thought, no one will call back. And I gave a certain amount, I put a certain amount of time on it. I said, Lord, if they're not, if they don't, I don't hear back from them in a certain amount of time, I'm going to take my life. That means no one cares. Well, Cal Ray for, and normally we don't stop at the office, but he forgot something. Just coincidence, I guess. <laughs> Went back to the office. Normally we don't check voicemail. We just get it the next day. They saw the phone was flashing. Decided to check the voicemail. It was called just a couple minutes earlier from a young lady. Her name was Cinderella. What's her name? Cinderella. He called Cinderella. He talked to her and got her calmed down and got her to where she wouldn't take her life. I had prayer with her. Here, four years later, she ends up at the Calvin Door Sevens Memorial Camp meeting. Talking to Cal Ray, she says, I've waited four years for this night. <laughs> and there in that auditorium, she bowed her heart. She gave her life to Jesus. The blood was applied to her life. We were rejoicing, and Cal Ray said, Come here, Brian, I've got to tell you. Meet Cinderella. I said, what? <laughs> said, That's her name, Cinderella. He told me the story. And I got up from there and the Holy Spirit came on me. And I, I, I got over the microphone and I told, I said, everybody, I want you to meet a new sister in Christ. Her name is Cinderella. And I said, and Cinderella finally met her prince tonight. <laughs> finally met her prince. The Prince of Peace didn't get a castle on a hill or a ruby slipper. No, she got, hallelujah, she got a mansion in heaven prepared for her. Hallelujah. 
I'm glad we serve not a God of fairy tales, but we serve a God of reality. And whatever you need in your life tonight, regardless of how deep in depravity you are and sin you are, thank God one precious drop of the blood of Christ will set you free and you can be make a reservation tonight for that place in heaven. Hallelujah. As your heads are bowed tonight, They come and get a song prepared. So glad not one drop was wasted. And to think about that, he took his own blood and entered once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us all. And all you have to do, he did the hard part. He did, he did what no other man would do. He died just for you. And all you have to do is accept it and say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. Forgive me. I want to be saved.